Thank you for twinkling the ivories for us there, Wendell, and welcome to episode three of the Champagne Comedy <laughs> Podcast, where, uh, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. Uh, my name is Matt, and joining us today on the podcast is the usual Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Prue. Hey. hey. <laughs> and, oh, there we go. There's a, uh, a paid applause there. <laughs> and especially for episode three, we've made it to episode three, which is fantastic. We have some special guests joining us. We have former ABC Brisbane radio presenter, media and comedy junkie, Spencer Housen, and his wife, national manager of giveit.org.au, Nikki Housen. Hello. Well, anyway, I will just pay off the rest of the audience for him to go. Cool. There we go. And uh, first of all, um, please tell everyone uh, your connection with the DJ and the Late Show. How did you stumble upon this comedy troupe? I was living in a share house in Brisbane, one of those when you have far too many people living in the house for fire safety laws, but I guess we won't go into that, how many people are actually living in each room. Did any of them go on to become famous radio presenters? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Not in this house. No. Different different house. house. Okay. All right. I wasn't referring to myself, by the way. (laughs) No, 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 no. I was referring to maybe was there an, any, it doesn't matter. So um, very rare to actually be home alone, but um, home alone one night, um, we didn't have any furniture in the TV room. So you'd sit on the carpet with your beer to actually watch the telly and um, flicked on the ABC and this um, show came on and it was like, oh, this is, I like this. Um, and then the next weekend just happened. It was on again. So exciting. It opened up a whole new world. So thank you, Late Show. <laughs> what year was that? Was that 92? The first year of the Late began. Show? Yes. Because I don't know whether I, so Nikki and I started, well, we met on, on Anzac Day 1992. Mm. She thought I was an arrogant so-and-so and we didn't <laughs> maybe talk for the rest of that year. That is accurate, yes. <laughs> okay, good. I was just giving you some right of reply there, but I don't know that I needed to because it was against me. Um, and then we started dating on the 4th of March, 93. And then very soon after that, I moved to Rockhampton. And um, eventually Nikki moved to Rockhampton as well the following February. But I, I, my distinct memory of the, the Late Show was from 93. And it was, it was a show that we would watch seven, seven hours apart seven hours drive apart and talk on the phone beforehand, talk on the phone after. And um, Birds of a Feather was the, the warm-up show, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't know. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I do not know whether I ever saw the show go out in 92. Clearly, there are because we, we've had the Champagne Comedy DVD box set for many years, there are some sketches from that first year that we would be very familiar with. But having watched episode three in preparation for today's podcast... I don't know that I've ever seen it before. Mm. Well, it's the first time for everything, Spencer. <laughs> mm. But not but the 93 series, we would have watched, yeah, either apart or when we were lucky enough to be in the, in the same place, we would have watched that whole series. So the late show together. was a very important part of your early relationship. Well, it was. No, absolutely. It, it sounds was. like yeah. I can claim that I introduced you to it. Yeah, claim it. That, yeah. Yes. That's Good a, work. That's weird... And of course, yeah, we, we have become hooked on anything produced by those guys or anyone you know associated with them 
over the years. And, and, you know, I've got Tony Martin on a poster behind me in my, my office, which is actually too much information here, but it is actually um, also our bedroom. So effectively, <laughs> Tony Martin is on the wall oh, that of is our hilarious. bedroom. <laughs> Is this where I get to say as well that my Jane Kennedy girl crush continues to this day? That's a given. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a late show romance. What, what a lovely story. I wonder if other people mm. sort of connected and fell in love over the late show. You know, if anyone else has got any stories listening, send them in. But yeah, that's lovely. Yes, definitely. Champagnelateshow at gmail.com. Send us your emails. Speaking of emails, we actually got a bit more feedback, believe it or not. We have two, which I will make them very, very short. Glenn Diamond, oh, my apologies if I pronounced your name incorrectly there, but he's reached out saying that he uh, loves the podcast. And it's, this is more or less a response to episode two, where we're talking about the one-liner joke, and we've expanded on it, about Club Yarrawonga. Now, uh, that was a reference to... Rob and Mick, when they were breaking down the Olympic Village, and they just kept going on about Jimmy Hannon and his big teeth, his all teeth. So he's said here that uh, just some insight into the timeshare. His mum and stepdad bought a timeshare at Yarrawonga, and now this is where he's pronounced it, Malwala. So Yarrawonga Malwala, that's how you pronounce it. I got it wrong. It was something anyway he uh he still remembers the jimmy hannon ads and the trip up there and the hard sell that day because it was a timeshare uh his twin brother and him were about 13 at the time and they thought it was pretty amazing and living in victoria anywhere on the murray was a popular holiday destination particularly the pre-pokies 80s and in addition to the timeshare condominiums uh, they made this exotic and fair step up from the usual caravan parks. His mum and his stepdad uh, got totally sucked in, but they did have many happy <laughs> holidays up there <laughs> and they got a good use out of it. They, oh, I don't know whether I should say that line because if they're still <laughs> running, <laughs> I'll skip that part. Uh, something to do with maintenance fees and all that other stuff. But the final sting on the tail for them was they had to pay a couple of thousand dollars to transfer it after his mum had passed away um, because the title was lost and, you know, they had a pretty bad nightmare trying to set all that out. Other than that, they had great memories of that time of Club Yarrawonga. Good on you, uh, Glenn. Good, good uh, background info. <laughs> and, yeah. So, and also the second email was pretty much the same <laughs> but for someone else uh, <laughs> from Ross uh, McPhee and he's saying that he's enjoying the podcast and the late show made his last year of high school more bearable and life in general back then. So, you know, I agree. Speak, yeah. Yep. I was in year 10 and 11 at the time. So that was definitely, and even going into year 12, we were still quoting season two stuff for season one stuff right up till probably university days. Oh, that's when I started the champagne comedy website. So yeah. yes. Yep. Since 1996, Kim. That's right. And I, I should add the forum is back online. Oh. Yay. <laughs> After several months of, uh, being offline so if you want to delve into the memories and search for old bits of information and if you ever were on the forum, you might claim. be able to search through some old posts and relive and, some memories and this forum existed way before facebook and twitter and all the other social uh communications out there really yeah it That's was uh, it 2003 is. yeah um 
all the yeah. old posts are there. So March 2003, which was actually before MySpace, <laughs> believe it or not. So there are a lot of old things on there. Well done. Just to add to that Jimmy Hannon thing, because <laughs> Ross met Jimmy Hannon when he appeared at the eighth anniversary celebrations of his local shopping centre. <laughs> he drew his name out of <laughs> the eighth anniversary. <laughs> Yeah, and was he spruiking the timeshare at the shopping center as well? <laughs> well, th- this is the brilliant part. He drew his name out of a barrel when he entered a competition. The prize was a trip to Port Phillip Bay on the Spirit of Victoria, a short-lived catamaran service. <laughs> what? Yeah, apparently there was something to do with the Spirit of Victoria. So, any of you Victorians out there know anything about that in the nineties? I'm guessing it's just so weird to win a trip to Port Phillip Bay. That's like winning a trip to Bass Strait or the Gulf of Carpentaria. Like, what? (laughs) It's not very specific. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of feedback on Twitter as well. Daniel Hopmans informs us that the... Oh, here we go. This is for you, Alison. Uh, In regards to the Tony and Mick when they did postcards and it was to a Star Trek convention. Yep. Does that ring a bell? Yep. Um, that the segment didn't go to air uh, because of Tony and Mick going to the Star Trek convention only to be harassed and kicked out. Ah, uh, right. It was highlighted. Yeah, they highlighted that in, it's on uh, Mark Malloy Eat Your Peas album, uh, disc two, track 21, uh, Wrath of Nutbags. Yeah, so I that's probably why we all knew about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I dug it out and... Um, and yeah, they said that they they got hassled by various people who who you know that they'd slagged off on on Martin Malloy or whatever people who who liked things that they'd slagged off. But they said the worst were the Star Trek fans. <laughs> and and I'm thinking when I heard that, I was thinking you know what an innocent age because the the 90s was because this is well before the culture wars. You know these days you know you say anything vaguely political and you'll have the other side will just hammer you on social media and really, really go at you in a very, very nasty way. But back then it was just a bunch of Star Trek fans who probably weren't that dangerous, to be honest. So our words hurt innocent. (laughs) 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 Well, I don't know, maybe maybe they would all get together in their suits and and intimidate them or whatever, but it it just seems a bit less frightening than a bunch of QAnon examples. (laughs) And also a big shout out to uh, the Great Australian Pods website for featuring us. I did not submit that. It was just up there. <laughs> and uh, I just went, yay, we're being promoted on another podcast website. So thank you so much for that. And, uh, yeah, that's we're pretty getting, much it. We're, we're getting noticed. It's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So please, yeah, subscribe on iTunes. We're also on Google Podcasts now after having a fight with them for a couple of weeks. So apologies for any Google uh, podcast users out there. We're finally up there and you can subscribe away and download and eat up your bandwidth. Yeah, you now, can even ask your Google Home. It'll yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, you, you can just say play Champagne Comedy Podcast. Voila. and It does do it. I, do it. I tried it. Yeah. Hopefully it'll still keep doing it after, the, <laughs> after episode four. <laughs> We're not legal for if your speaker blows up or catches on fire. So that's not our fault there. I must mention uh, before we go on about we're losing John Fay the last few days ago. So uh, who is known for carrying the Olympic Games, really, the Sydney 2000 Games, and known in the late show. Getting as... it over the line, yeah. Yeah. He did, he did everything. Yep, that famous jump. I'll do that. I'll do that. Oh, yeah, I got that one. <laughs> yeah, he was even bodyguard for Prince Charles at some point, wasn't he? Well, he was too, wasn't yeah. he? If it weren't for the late show, I, I doubt that we... Would remember John Faye. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When he died this week, I would have just been like, oh yeah, former New South Wales Premier died. But instead, straight away, I went to YouTube to watch the Late Show. The Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one thing I thought of straight There's away. There's a really um, great documentary on Kathy Freeman on iView at the moment. And in there, you'll see one Antonio Samaranch announcing the winner is Sydney. And it just makes me think of the Late Show. He goes. So yeah. I highly recommend that. So um, other than that, um, yeah, this episode we're going to be talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 3, which was broadcast on Saturday, August 1, 1992. Now, uh, Daniel, do you have any tidbits on what was on during that time or in the lead-up? I do. I've also got there was a a cover story, in fact, for the Age Green Guide uh, showing the... uh, Degen cast uh, above their headline sensitive degeneration exclusive um, and it's a very long article I'm not going to read all of it obviously but um, the, the intro goes they're topical occasionally tasteless intelligent but not smug and they're sensitive John Mangan drags the Degen reluctantly into the limelight uh, it's a, an, an interview that was uh, carried out at the state swimming, swimming centre um, where the group was shooting a whole bunch of sketches a few of which we've seen already um, like uh, wet towel flicking uh, being an Olympic event. They really had their hackle, um, uh, shackles up, hackles up about the word undergraduate, which uh, came up in a few reviews, mainly because of their beginnings with the previous series on the ABC. Uh, Rob, uh, for instance, tells us about some of the feedback uh, that came from the audience. Obviously, it was in a much uh, simpler time before uh, everybody was able to hate tweet. <laughs> Um, so he said, uh, one caller to the station said it was as funny as a bucket of mud. Another rang up on the first night to say the whole show wasn't working. That was at 10.02 p.m. We were only halfway through the first sketch. Serial complainers. So uh, they also addressed that um, there wasn't much publicity for this uh, new series um, and that their departure from Triple M Breakfast was low-key, their sign with the ABC was low-key. Um, they gave up uh, a cover story on TV Week to speak exclusively to the Green Guide, which is kind of odd, I think. I, do, I don't know what sort of thing they would be doing uh, on the cover of the TV Week, maybe a bit of a John O'Connor point and laugh, I don't know. Maybe because the... Well, no, that so they could slag off TV Week because that TV Week was often referenced in the Late Show, wasn't it? And and in this episode, in fact, there's there's a reference right at the end to TV Week in relation to a certain television critic. But we'll get to that later, perhaps. <laughs> so Kim's oh, holding yes, up. Oh, yes, I thought of that. Yeah, I can't really see what I'm holding up. I'm holding up a Rebecca Elmer Loglu is on the cover of this particular TV Week, <laughs> and then you've got this one here where Sophie Lee makes it. Oh. so. Yeah, Georgie Parker was probably on the one of the other ones that I haven't got here. Are they significant dates? Those those issues that you've got there, Kim? Well, they're in September 1992. I just don't know why I randomly have those two issues. I used to collect a lot of magazines, um, so these ones are the ones that relate to episodes that are further on <laughs> in season one. Um, but you get the general mm. idea. I think there are some uh, Robert Pigeon cartoons in those ones as well. <laughs> Excellent. And and those those would have been the ones um, from long ago. I mean, TV Week nowadays it seems like there's only ever Home and Away stars on the on the covers these well, that's days. What it was like back, back then, then it would have been a lot it was more. terrible, terrible <laughs> magazine. That's why they always highlighted the fact it was either Georgie yeah. Parker or it, Kim. It Wilson. was kind of a no brainer that they went got... to the Green Guide because at least that's journalism and. 
It's a better fit for them, definitely, mm. the green guide. Yeah. I, I suppose I suppose there's yeah. a good question, though. Why didn't they want to maybe go for that big, na- you know, national coverage on TV week where everybody could see it and, you know, know about the show? That seems odd, but maybe they wanted to, to roll out low-key and be discovered. Well, see, one, one, one of the things uh, Santo says, uh, the problem with doing publicity is that it gets in the way of writing jokes. We enjoy making the show and putting it on air. People can decide for themselves by watching whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. That's true, Santo, um, right there too. Yeah, high clap, Santo. That was a good call. Yeah. And uh, even even Tony um, uh, elaborates further. He says, when we did our shows at Channel 7, we did a 46-minute special, not even an hour. It had been written in about two weeks. We were driving up King Street one day and saw a massive billboard for it and thought, oh, it's <laughs> not that good. That's too big a billboard for 46 minutes of jokes. So, yeah, they're sort of, I think they're also just a bit publicity shy as well. We've also seen some of their fashion sense in um, this episode that we're going to chat about. So maybe, you know, there's no glam in there to be putting on the front page of a magazine. (laughs) (laughs) We can see what a... Tony and Mick are wearing in this intro and just imagine that on the front of the I, I just window. can't remember what they wear. I don't yeah. really, I think I must have a filter for it. I, on, yesterday I saw Costa on Gardening Australia wear two flannelette shirts. So one over the other. <laughs> the double flannel, not the double, the double flannel. Flannels, so I'm like, the late show oh. looking fine. That's not a look, double flannel. It's not like double denim, which is a look. Double flannel is not a look. I'll send you a link to the show. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, fashions, Jane um, sort of throws Tom under the bus a bit. Uh, Jane says, you should see what Tom Glasner wears. He can make jokes about people who wear brown jumpers because he wears them himself. We are all uncool people. Yeah, well, he's the, he's the one wearing the brown... They're cords, aren't they? They're brown pants. He's doing the whole man-spreading thing in this <laughs> episode. That's, when you talk about what they're wearing, all I can see is Tommy G's crotch. <laughs> <laughs> His legs are exceptionally widely spaced apart on that beanbag. Yeah, I have the note. Lightly. <laughs> wouldn't want to go on a train with him next to me. <laughs> no, I'm just going to say, Tommy G always seems to dress a bit like George Negus did in that era when he does the news desk. You know, he's got kind of tweedy jacket and, you know, all that sort of thing. So he... All that brown. Yeah, he is quite daggy, I think, as a dresser. Uh, and another thing that came out of this article, which I thought was interesting, is that the deal between the D generation and the ABC uh, was initially to do 10 shows and then, assuming that all was well, um, the series may uh, be extended to 22 weeks so it wasn't you know like it wasn't a a done deal so you know uh, I would say maybe pay attention to what you know comes along in the next seven or so shows because obviously there was something in there that the executives liked um, in order to go you know let's have another year and a half of that. that that's a really interesting comment actually because that explains why they are so annoyed about the bad criticism they're getting I mean of course you'd be annoyed but, you know, they're really, really annoyed at the end of this episode about it. And it's because they think this is going to cancel the show, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it was really harsh, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Tony says at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. it's like we go out live. We've, we've had two episodes. Uh, yeah, like I said in a previous week of this podcast, it was just really not nurturing at all. They, the critic could have said something to just keep them going with a little bit more buoyancy <laughs> but they just sunk them it was horrible the, the critics i think 
don't get the show. I think it. I think it's too young and too new and too weird and too experimental for them. And they're wanting something smoother and more polished in a in a sort of late night comedy show, you know. And and they're not getting that. And they don't understand and they can't comprehend it and they can't say anything nice about it because it it feels wrong to them. But you know, who was proved right? Yeah. But but yeah. it is fundamentally under undergraduate. You know, and and even like watch, we watched a bit of episode two as well as the episode three in in preparation for this. And I remember saying to to Nikki, "This is kind of like what you'd expect high school students to do in media class." Some of these sketches, <laughs> so, but the fact is that if you were of, of the same age or around the same age, then you, then you're going to get it. But if you're a fifty year old reviewing this stuff and heck I'm almost 50 now so you know if I didn't love this stuff already you know watching Tommy take um, Jane to the Greyhounds I would say that is just not funny also mm -hmm. it's just not funny and I'm sort of preempting our discussion mm -hmm. probably but you could see where the, the critics would have perhaps not got it yeah I, I think yeah. I think that yeah. call about undergraduate yeah. is just a, a nothing it's like what does the, what does that mean undergraduate well it just means that it appeals to Lazy. appeals to young it's people such a maybe or you know Definitely. people who are currently studying well obvious it means obvious jokes doesn't it oh, that's that's what, what i get i mean there. obvious jokes and a license for toilet humor yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a cop out yeah it's it's a lazy term it's so it's so overused basically anyone doing sketch comedy who's been anywhere near a university always gets called undergraduate and it, it's quite an unfair term i think and uh, the article ends uh, with Mick uh, looking up at Tom, who has just returned from shooting a sketch in which he wore a set of false breasts. How did it go, he asks. I don't know, Mick, Tom says. <laughs> He's a bit undergraduate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and also evidence of why he's one of the one of the best cast members, I think, and certainly one of the best writers, because he can just come up with stuff just instantly. He's, oh, he's that good. Yeah, he's a genius. I didn't, like I've said it a million times, I didn't fully appreciate him until I was much older. And one of the times I realised it was at a recording of Thank God You're Here. He kind of was the crowd warm-up. I mean, there was Brian then, Curvis, obviously, but he would come out and sort of just rattle off all these jokes before he went and sat on his daggy little judge's table and completely relegating himself to a nothing spot. But... <laughs> The stuff that he did beforehand that never went to air was just pure genius. And it was like, Tommy G, why are you not a stand-up comedian? It's a crime. Yeah. Was one of the jokes, um, no cam no cameras, but it, what was it? No flash cameras, but cheap cameras are okay. Was <laughs> that one of the jokes? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. We'll go really quickly to what was up against um, season one, episode three. Uh, now, because we've got Spencer House and Brisbane Radio Royalty uh, as our guest, I decided to go and look up uh, what was on TV in Brisbane. It just so happens that it's mostly the same as uh, usual Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> so on Channel 7, we had the Barcelona Olympics. Um, according to the guide, um, there was yachting from 9.15pm until 2.30am. Oh, wow. I don't know if that would have been the whole time, but... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not much of a yachting fan, so I. Imagine that in 1992, <laughs> there would have been no on deck camera or anything. It just would have been mm. this chopper going. Up. And yeah, one yeah, channel. Exactly. You've, you've, one channel of yeah, Olympics. Channel. Oh. Yeah. Bloody hell! Yeah, one channel. We take it for granted these days, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, on Channel Nine, uh, Hey Hey It's Saturday had guests Randy Crawford, Rhonda Rhonda Birchmore, 
And according to the listing here, as a guest, Mr. Dobolina. Mr. Oh, Dobolina. Dobolina. Yeah. Amazing. Well, see, I, I, don't, I don't think it would have been the actual, like, unless, unless there was an actual Mr. Robert Dobolina who was trying to cash in on the newfound fame. Oh, I definitely would have been. I assume Dobolina, they're, yeah. they're talking about the... It would have been the... the <laughs> either that or, or Zelda Funky Homo Sapiens singing that song. Yeah. It would have been the odd two minutes that it was worth watching Hey Hey. I'm sorry to offend you, Matt. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'm only a fan so I can take the piss out of it. <laughs> and then uh, after that uh, was a trio of movies starring Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier. We had Uptown Saturday Night, followed by Let's Do It Again and A Piece of the Action. They all got, uh, was it two and a half stars, three stars, and two and a half stars, respectively. So a top night's viewing there, <laughs> up against the Olympics, of course. They're really not trying with that selection, aren't they? Do it. <laughs> yeah. no. Maybe no. they were worried well, about the lecture. Like, well, I, I think, again, because everybody would have been watching the Olympics, it seems like everybody else, um, apart from Channel 2, of course, was running movies. On the Wind Channel, they had um, a movie called Murder by Death. Great movie. Love that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got quite a, quite a lot. A lot of star power in there. Eileen Brennan, Truman Capote, James Coco, Peter Falk, Alec Guinness, David Niven, Peter Sellers, Maggie Smith, before she was a dame probably. On Channel 10, we had Braddock Missing in Action 3, starring Chuck Norris. <laughs> and uh, it just, ha- just happened to be directed by Norris's brother, Aaron Nor- Norris. <laughs> Again, a quality selection. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suppose if you didn't like that, there was a bit of quality on SBS. They were showing, um, of course, a foreign film uh, called Mon Oncle. Yeah, Jacques, uh, Jacques, Jacques Tati. Tati. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's an Oscar winner as well. Um, best uh, foreign film for 1958. Yeah, SBS is on fire um, in 1992. <laughs> and, um, yeah, back to Channel 2. Uh, the lead-in was, again, Smith & Jones. And after uh, the late show, you had Ask Balloon Company. The guests were Harry Enfield, someone called Marion Margulies, but I think that's meant to be Miriam. Yeah, oh, yeah, it'd be Miriam, all right. <laughs> and I would, I would say, if uh, if she if she was um, if she was uh, anything like she is on the Graham Norton show, she would have been a good watch on Ask Balloon Company. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. And then uh, an Irish tenor um, who's. In, in the listing here as Jose Flock, but it's his name's actually Joseph Locke. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the influence of the Barcelona Olympics. I, I think it was like, possibly they, they didn't know who he was. Um, and then after Aspen Company, uh, Rage had a B52 special. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I would have been taking that. Brilliant. Yeah, it was pretty much movies, the Olympics, um, and the Late Show. Yeah. You guys discussed Michael Aspel a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That I knew no one else in my world would discuss Michael Aspel <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. And so, what I when I was listening, and this is the problem with listening to podcasts as opposed to radio. When you're listening to radio, you can phone in or text in. When you're listening to a podcast, you can't. <laughs> Michael Aspel was eaten by the big kitten in the goodies. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. oh. He was the reporter that the the cat came and no, he um, was squashed. On he was the... squashed. He wasn't squashed. eating. Yeah, that's right. He squashed, was squashed in the, with the that's foot. Right. Yeah, in, in the goodies. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right, we'll try and work on being a late night podcast. You know, therefore <laughs> we try to get people to call in. It works for Tony Martin somehow. Yeah, I don't yeah, know how, yeah. okay. how does that work? So, uh, are you ready to move on to the first sketch of the episode? Yep. Sure. All right. Notebooks oh. out the ready. Fantastic. All right. Well, the opening sketch is a simple 
image of Tommy G as Jeff Crow from Jeff Crow Motors with Tony ripping in to the current wave of nationalism because of the Olympics. Yeah, I was too lazy to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that the still of Tommy G as Jeff Crow Motors is from the Degeneration series on Channel 2. I believe that too. Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I was too lazy as well, but it looked so <laughs> familiar. Yeah, and that... Tommy G looks even thinner than he is in the late show, so it must be from the 80s. Yeah, yeah and he had a full beard. And yeah, if you Jeff can find that sketch... It's hilarious. You've got Tommy G on the ground doing a full 360 on his shoulder. Oh, I yeah. yeah. That is brilliant, <laughs> that sketch. Was it a running series of sketches or was it just the one? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember either. Anyway, it was great. And he, he's, going, he's going around on his shoulder on the ground going, Aussie, 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 isn't he? Like <laughs> Other than the opening titles, we have the opening monologue, which has Mick and Tony drawing the short straw to introduce the show, and they'd rather host Bloopers, Bleeps and Blunders by Don Rickles and Ed McMahon. Now, I looked that up, and I don't know whether he said that as an accident, where it was Bloopers, Bleeps and Blunders, because the as per the TV guide, and also on YouTube, where I found some clips, was it was Foul Ups, Bleeps and Blunders which had Don Rickles and Steve Lawrence. <laughs> now, see, I thought, I thought he, he might have been referencing, there was also another bloopers series that was hosted by Dick Clark, I think, which had Ed McMahon as yeah. well. Because I, 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 well, I'm, I'm very sure that it, it made it to our shores here um, whenever there was a gap in the Channel 10 schedule. It did, yeah. I remember a lot of those on 90s television and they were always called something like bloopers, bleeps and blunders in slightly different, cop- but there were British ones as well as, as the American ones. But if we can just go back slightly to the the titles, do you notice this is the first week where there's big audience cheers over the titles? Oh, this was such a great yeah. studio audience. I'm giving this studio audience yeah. ten out of ten. I'm going to rate them. They were very lively, weren't they? Yeah. Here it is: TV's bloopers and practical jokes. That was the the Dick That's Mark right. and yeah. Ed McMahon. Yeah, and it was shown, I think, on Channel the Seven. Precursor to YouTube. Yes. No wonder we're stuck with YouTube now. We watched all this shit <laughs> growing up. Yeah, Mick and Tony were talking about the UN task force finding the findings uh, being displayed in a manila folder with Saddam's super gun aimed on the set of the Yahoo series' movie. <laughs> yeah, that was quite right, right Jay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and Saddam's mustard <laughs> gas is available in original or new hot and spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> such serious topics. At this time, yeah. just after the war, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, and yet they make they make humor, and it, I mean, on the but yeah, to the mostly I think that the, those jokes, the the Iraq jokes, and the Saddam Hussein jokes, mostly actually do work. Whether you know, it's hard to imagine what it was like at the time watching those jokes. But you know, the the jobs lost because the bottom falling out of the effigy business. <laughs> I mean, you know, they laughed out loud at that. It's great, and yet it's so dark my memory of that first gulf yeah. war was that it it was i mean it didn't go on for very long and and it was sort of this tiny thing that was way away from us and we sent three ships or something and you know it was it was a kind of rubbish little war over there it wasn't it wasn't like a serious war like you know after 9 11 you know that that was a serious war that really scared people around the world whereas the gulf war was just like oh there's this thing happening we've sent three ships, you know, so you could kind of do jokes about it. Whereas people, comedians, I think really struggled to do jokes about after 9-11 and, and all that, because, you know, that war seemed genuinely scary. 
but that's a product of its yeah. time too because like we we didn't ever see the impact of a bomb hitting a village back then you know it was all a western viewpoint mm. so and the internet's brought us all yeah. closer together these days and back then it just seemed so so far away to have all this stuff happening in the middle east it was the first sort of tv full full-on tv mm. war though like in yeah. australia yeah, I guess so. my recollection is that channel 10 took the cnn a lot of the time and my collection of goodies episodes recorded onto VHS, all the ad breaks had Des McWilliam, who was the Brisbane Channel 10 newsreader, who lives across the road from us, by the way, apparently, although we, we never see him, um, um, with the promos for the, for the war, you know, for the, for the news, which is all about the Iraq war. So all the way through these goodies episodes are promos for the Iraq war coverage on CNN on, on Channel 10. Yeah, I do remember that when I was a, a kid writing in my diary, there's going to be this, this war and we could be in this... Uh, world war or something in it and it was I guess it was quite scary I was only 13 or so at the time and then this second wave of uh, the potential nuclear weapons and um yeah the late show just just made it just sort of the funny side and, and that's that's really what um what made it what made it for me I guess yeah I was more interested in the Yahoo series movie coming up. <laughs> that, was that Young Einstein? What was it? No, Reckless Kelly. Oh, Reckless Kelly, right. It's right next to me down my bookshelf, but I can't be bothered getting it. I don't really want to show it. Yeah, it's don't, embarrassing. Don't bother. No. <laughs> don't hey, show. I got out my blue heelers last time, so I don't know why. <laughs> and and, 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 and he's still recovering from that weightlifting as well. Oh, threw my back out. <laughs> <laughs> the next segment uh, was the news desk with Tommy G and... Barcelona rocked after. Oh, this is the classic Tommy G cutaway joke, which was the Barcelona rocked after missing target, which had the Barcelona arrow <laughs> shooting up in the distance and instantly blowing up a building. <laughs> yeah. Quite possibly from the Iraq War. Yeah. Yes. There's a yeah. lot of war jokes, definitely. Yeah. And it makes you wonder then what someone, it wasn't Iraqi, you know, might think of watching this back now. Yeah. It's very much from our point of view. That's that yeah. was, I mean, it was that's a hilarious joke. As is the barbecue one later in the episode. Yeah, I, we were just desensitized, or no, perhaps just completely naive. Well, that, yeah. well that's just propaganda. That's war. Mm. That's the sign. We we, we we probably weren't sensitized to begin with. Mm, exactly. So. Yeah. We had that uh, Saddam and the kiss me quick but pin button just to explain <laughs> the visual that they showed straight after that, which uh, Saddam ends up uh, greeting uh, another gentleman. Uh, also, the Olympic diving marred by a freak accident and splicing the shark inflation rate at a 30-year low. And John Dawkins. The great, th- the great thing about that gag was, and there was an, another example of this later in the episode, just the, the detail and the, just the convincing nature of the, the edit from the chart being held up by, who was it, the treasurer, to what just looked like the same chart, very convincing, and then had the kids drawing next and whatever. And then, and later we had the same thing with the, the American vet's certificate on the wall behind the American yeah. vet. Like just really nice detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like what you see now with yeah. Trump and although what he holds up is usually is silly anyway, but when you, you just cut away and there's some ridiculous thing that he's holding up. That's right. Yeah. This was deep fake 92. Yeah. Yeah. And the photocopy yeah. of the bum. I don't know what you do now. Oh, I, well, that's all I've got written down. That, that photocopy of the bum. We need to explore this. That was the grossest bum I've ever seen. It was like, like a couple's couple stunt butt from episode one. Fully covered in <laughs> hair like an ape. Oh, I don't want to see that photocopy of a bum ever again. I was, was going to say, at least it was black and white. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to see that fruit ball, that's for sure. And so, and unfor- yeah. unfortunately, somebody in the props department had to make that. Somebody, like, somebody had to request that. That's good. Somebody, somebody yeah. had to go, I'm making this for comedy. <laughs> No, they probably one of the cast. Probably knew who already had a few in their drawer. (laughs) All right, yeah, from the last Christmas party. That's right. All right, so the quick joke about Charles and Di celebrating their anniversary with a dinner in separate homes. So that was a yeah, the the dissolving of their relationship happening there. Uh, The Gillespie children are being smuggled out of the country, and then it cuts to Jason Stevens as a customs security guard trying to explain that, oh, no, nothing can get past us. And yet they just seamlessly I remember that news story. It was really awful. And I actually think that Tommy G has really sort of nailed it in this jokey analysis, and particularly in the Gareth Evans bit coming up next. It's like it's really appalling that they let this yeah. man take these children and that nobody stood up and help this woman out it was terrible the comedy around this story was harder for me to take though than the war themes so this one I actually watched I went oh can you say that (laughs) I actually I actually think that this time the comedy is kind of really doing good it's it's um unlike the war stuff which is a little bit flippant this is like really nailing it really nailing the problem particularly when he addresses gareth evans and and rob which we'll get to is like hilarious but um he's just sort of blaming that oh that's an issue for the family court which is essentially just like oh we don't give a shit you know where it's it's not an issue for the family court mate it's it's international borders it's all this stuff what the hell are you doing and so i actually think that the comedy was really highlighting the problem probably better than the news did at the time. Well, at the time, we saw a lot of the mum story, Jacqueline Gillespie, because, of course, she was here in Australia and was the um, the focus for a lot of those current affairs shows, and we saw a lot of her story. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a tragic way because it does continue on um, where it gets brought up again. So I haven't watched episode four yet, but I, I'm pretty sure that it might come up there again. But uh, where we, yeah, as Prue was saying, our... Uh, this is where we see Rob as Gareth Evans, the foreign minister at the time. And I counted seven times he mentioned family court. Bit of an awkward one now, unfortunately, with uh, because it was funny but also serious at the same time. Yeah, I, I think it's well. I, I think they've done it well myself. That's the view I had. But also, just to go back to the comedy completely, um, Rob, I think, is starting to show signs of that Thing that we were talking about when he's doing his impressions where he just sort of takes it a little bit too far and, and you can see he's just nodding and sort of getting into whatever affectation he wants to tease out of you know, the impression. The, the the nodding is brilliant, isn't it? And then he, he sort of, he, he realises he's overdoing it. He said, do you notice how he does that? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> Which is hilarious. He, he just goes for This is actually a pre-recorded interview because then, of course, yeah. minutes later, he's um, ah. Bruce McAvaney. And there is a weird sort of glitch where uh, Tommy G and Rob on the video don't quite match up, but you hardly notice it. But, yeah, it's funny that he would be sitting there in camera just sort of going, notice how he does that. I did like the uh, Cadbury <laughs> Roses reference. Um, thanks for stealing the kids from the missus, if you remember that uh, jingle. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank, Thank you very, very, very much. Very, very, very much. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that perhaps does make it seem... Like they're taking the story lightly, but it was funny. <laughs> yeah. 
Rob Sitch doing impressions though. I could I could just watch a whole show of him just doing impressions. It's yeah. one of many. It's one of many. Now we've got the helicopters used as uh, gunships in Papua New Guinea, which were you know saying that it could be Aussie, and which now this is a visual joke, uh, and you know the proof being having Moonies stuck to the window as well as <laughs> Fluffy Garfield as well. Now the Moonies, <laughs> man, they were like huge in the eighties. This was actually the point where I wrote down. These are very serious stories that they're making fun of. That they just put very silly jokes on, yeah. Yeah, but I loved the gag. But And then the other thing I, that, that I noticed at this point was how quaint the, the newspaper stories are that have been cut out and then put on a card and then filmed or however <laughs> they've done it, um, which, of course, these days you just wouldn't see that. Just would not look that way. No, because it's a bigger screenshot from from the internet story. That's right. Yes. Well, the next part was uh, the start of uh, Michael Jackson, really, of uh, suing a UK paper for having his saying that his face was disfigured. Now, this joke, yeah, you can see why this kind of uh, flopped, and you don't really see it on any of the DVD best bits or anything. Absolutely died in the <laughs> ass. <laughs> This was a shocker. I hated this joke. Oh my god! To everyone listening, uh, what had happened was. The, it was Jason dressed up as Michael, but you couldn't see his face. He was in a silhouette. And then when they tried to turn up the light, the lamp didn't work. And it was just a backlight. And it looked like that he had a Freddy Krueger face mask on, but it it just it did not work. And he Tommy just tried to move on. It's like, yeah, all right, yeah. that joke didn't work. Yeah, move on. Tommy, Tommy had, had the sense to go, all right, you know, next item. Yeah. <laughs> I think it failed because Jason was doing this weird thing where he was miming turning on the lamp and the studio light was supposed to come on behind him, but it didn't. So he mimed it again. And it was one of those ones where the audience just gets distracted by going, what are you doing? Are you Is that meant to be like that? Is that not a real lamp? <laughs> and then it was you see the stupid mask and you're oh, mate, not worth it. It didn't help that it was quite a weak joke as well. You know, it, and it was. It's one of those sketches where there's a lot of build-up for one joke and the joke happens to be really weak, so it just, just died. Yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. When, but that's the beauty of live TV, really. So if a joke fails, it's like, all right, well, that's what makes it even yeah. more funny, but no, move on. As, move on. As yeah, they say, they the can't all be winners. No, they can't. So, uh, yeah, the next <laughs> part being uh, the photographer, uh, Mark Stupain, uh, passing away. And uh, now this is more of another visual joke of uh, going through all his best uh, photography work, including uh, Tommy G's family home, family holiday photo at Bermagui. Again, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're showing their, their dag in this year. They, they, they really let their dag yeah. fly, fly, I think. <laughs> Why is Bermagui that bad? I've been told it's great. <laughs> is it? Well, there'll be another reference, of course, to Bermagui in, in yeah. season of course. Quite bronze, really, when you think about it. And next story being uh, three UK athletes tested positive for drugs at the Olympics uh, and, yeah, they're prepared to whinge about it. So um, there's a bit of a <laughs> UK whinging pom joke, really. And, yeah, Rob Sitch with his famous Bruce McAvaney impression at Barcelona. Yay! Brilliant. I love that in this impression, Rob calls out that bad Michael Jackson joke as well. What does he, what does he say? <laughs> and I think it's the beginning of, oh, he just goes, yeah, nice uh, Michael Jackson joke. Nice Michael Tommy. Jackson you joke there, Tommy. That's right. And I could go on and on. And I will. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. I'm going to mention the athletes' names at random. 
So this is one of the most quoted <laughs> sketches of, uh, or one of Rob's impressions, really. But this is where the one that was in the DVD that everyone knows. So this is where it originated from, season one, episode three. So here's my question about this this Bruce McAvaney appearance. I'm guessing they only had one auto cue in that studio because I was distracted by the fact that uh, Rob as Bruce was reading slightly off camera <laughs> and Tommy G was using the other auto or was using the auto cue. Presumably they only had it on one camera. He does look down, doesn't he? I don't know if they only had one, but I reckon that auto cue would have been ancient because you can see it real, really failing Robin Santo in all of the grain and the kernels across the entire two series mm. of the black show. So it's like, it's so, it's just obviously like a rotating <laughs> thing that someone's turning with a knob. I don't know. It's crazy. I, I always thought that that was because they, they just start improvising around the sketch and then the, whoever's running the autocue can't keep up with the script. I, I've seen that before in, in when I've seen TV recordings. You know, if the comedian starts improvising on something that's on an autocue, the autocue the auto operator just has zero idea of where yeah. to go. In this case, this was an example <laughs> of like, the, the athlete's names that Bruce McAvaney was saying he had to get right. To, for the gag to work. So it was this long list in alphabetical order yeah. at one point. So he was definitely reading off a card. And the yeah. pronunciation. It's all about the pronunciation being completely beautiful. Which it's yeah. sort of, it, it's a lovely impression because it's quite a homage to oh, yeah. Bruce McAvaney, really. Yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely no punching <laughs> down in, in that. Yeah. yeah. Very iconic. The news desk has wrapped up and the next sketch is how to make a television commercial, and that is by using an annoying jingle. So if you listened, if you subscribe to the podcast, I did release a little soundbite, which I'll play here. It's gonna ring, it's gonna ring, it's gonna ring on the hearts of hot, hot, what do you ever see? Ring comes on. <laughs> Steady, hot, and strong. When your heat has had to go. It's gonna ring, it's gonna ring, it's gonna ring. So that commercial, that ring TV commercial had three... <laughs> guys in it doing that whole dance you know install a ream so from there they've used that as a major ream parody yeah that, that's be, that yeah, was the, uh, the ad that really stuck with me through the 80s and 90s i could probably still sing it today it's it's that era where you just have these jingles <laughs> that get stuck in your head and ream when you think of hot water systems you usually think of ream right and even though they were taking the piss out of it and saying these songs are so annoying and they'll go on and on and on they actually are such an earworm that they stick with you forever. Yeah. And it was a successful campaign there. All yeah. these years on, I did sing that jingle when I watched that clip. So it's, um, yeah, incredible yeah, how yes. some things do just <laughs> cement in your head. So well done to whoever wrote that and created that as an advertising gig at the time. Yeah, well done. I really like the props as well. I mean, the, the hot water, the cylinders that fall on them. <laughs> Very simple but effective. This is a, a, a sketch that took me took me by surprise I mean obviously I've seen it a million times but I was like oh I have no memory of employ three docs employ three docs like I've got oh this is like one of those hidden gems that we've never seen again it's the (laughs) (laughs) now I don't know if it went for all all the other parts of Australia but in Sydney I know something that rivaled uh (laughs) Ream or the with a commercial and that was Alcan did anyone have Alcan in their state Oh, we are the boys oh. from Alcan. I don't remember that. having Alcan in Adelaide, but I I did think of those yeah, as well because yeah. yeah, the three 
the three dwarves yeah. do look very similar. Wasn't there to a reference to the Alcan yeah. in the uh, when they went to the shopping center and the guy selling the carpets? What was that? They they said something. Like, oh, no, no, that was carpet. Call. I'm getting my ads confused now. <laughs> call, call, carpet call. The experts in the trade. I oh, see, Alison, you've been in London for what twenty <laughs> that's years. That's the same and you still sort of thing, isn't it? <laughs> carpet call, call, call carpet call. Yeah. You know what? It's kind of like, give, give me a child until they are seven. It, it's a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved I how... you someone who remembers the carpet cool ad, so, you know. <laughs> I loved how you dropped your voice lower when you sang that line as well. <laughs> well, you know, you, you've got to try and do it right. So, um, yeah, after the Ream parody, Jason, Jane and Santo read from the complaints book. So this is where, uh, from the episode last week well, that, that was broadcast last week where it had uh the olympic swimmer exposing herself really and someone was accusing jane of being the one who flashed and so they pretty much explained how that sketch was set up yeah, with tommy g wearing the fake boobs and that was actually something that i wondered about like which cast member is wearing those fake boobs <laughs> now we know i noticed that this is one of the things um where they start becoming more self, sort of self-deferential, like they recall their own stuff more to take the piss out of it. And I think this is what really sets them apart and becomes their sort of calling card is that they are the first to have a go at themselves and it makes it so much more funnier and you sort of feel like you're becoming more comfortable with the show at this point. Well, it's how you create a club as well of, of viewers. I mean, the, 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 you know, the, the trick is to not ever um make it difficult for a new viewer obviously but at the same time yeah it's all those sort of running gags and referring back mm. is part of that as well yeah. yeah oh they totally did do that didn't they 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 created a club and it was you know have you seen the late show and we all taped it and we all talked about it and we, we never really talked about water cooler shows that was an american term that had, hadn't really come in then but we were all in the schoolyard repeating it to each other and doing that exact same sort of thing. And like the three dorks, uh, they come back later in this episode, but that's, I'm guessing they come back later in the series as well. Like that's the perfect setup for a running gag. And, and that would just pop up yeah. presumably at some point later in the series. And, and you, some, you know, some viewers would go, I remember the very first episode, but it didn't matter if you didn't see the first, that first time that they appeared, but others would be like, I remember the first time they were on. I don't actually think they do. The dogs really? are one off. Yeah. Well, they're later in this episode because they're the, the... Yeah, yeah. and that oh, was right. good. Mm. Speaking of that, the next part was after explaining the fake boobs controversy, uh, which was a very, it seems like this could have been a news bit, like a, a, an appearance in a uh, news sketch, uh, being the UN meet up with Iraq with Alf Camilleria Saddam. But we, yeah, so it feels like that this... Alf's first appearance, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah maybe. Uh, yeah. It is on the late show. I think <laughs> he might have appeared as Saddam in so. a few other ABC series from memory. I think it might have been the big gig. What was his um, title? Was he a props coordinator? Uh, yeah, he, was, he, was, he was in the props department at the ABC. So, yeah, he, he probably would have organised the set of freight breasts. Mail order. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably more effective when you think of it in retrospect after so many years of them looking for those weapons of mass destruction. And at the time it was just early days, I guess, and they were... They're basically um, looking for them and saying, where are they? Let's play that game. And then so they play hot and cold to try and find them. That's the, that's the running joke. Yeah, I, of course, love anything with Tony and Rob. We see it a lot in Series 1, but less so in Series 2. 
Um, so yes, this is a pretty sort of weak. I love it. Sketch, isn't it? It's a bit stag. It falls a bit flat. Yeah. yeah, but I like it, and I think that. Yeah. I think it's got great payoff with the warmer, warmer, you know, freezing, freezing. <laughs> you know that kind of old game. Yeah, I think in 1992 we actually thought that they would find them. <laughs> So uh, straight after that was a serious tone to uh, the next sketch, which was a judge going through the whole court of um, someone being tried for murder. And then, bam, the reveal. Guess who it is? The Ream guys. We're the guiltiest men you've ever seen. Yeah, and with the classic, we hit the bits in sacks. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a brilliant thing. Rob delivers that line very well. Yeah, it, it's it's very dark topic, this, but, you know, Again, it's, it's Andy, funny. just ending on pure silliness. Now, as we go into, uh, this is one of the favourites, really. We uh, briefly mentioned this in episode two, where Jane and Tommy G go on a date. Well, hang on, you had the microphone failure first, if we're going to do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, I, I did write that. <laughs> Jane LaPel right, mic yes. fail, yes. Back to the beginning, because, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And actually, the mic, you know, whoever had that that spare mic, actually, I mean, yeah, it felt long when you watch it, five seconds maybe, but they actually did get it to her very quickly. I love um, Jane is just, no, not phased at all. Just Life gets the handheld mic and just keeps going. What a champ. (laughs) It was quite a long technical gap, wasn't it? It was like, oh, we can't hear you. It's like people on Zoom these days on the mute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was it was well done. I, I think we also, as an audience, probably start to get used to. Well, it is live. They're not bullshitting. This is legit, and they're doing great. Yep. So, does anyone want to talk about Tom taking Jane to the Greyhounds? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. What What do they call this? Is this like a subterfuge or a, a red herring? <laughs> yeah, just to dis- distract us from the fact that she was actually going out with Rob. So yeah. I, I think at, at school we, we talked about this in episode one. We all thought there was something going on with Jane and Tom, whereas in actual fact, it was actually Rob. I mean, that, that was the same at my school. And, and you know, the fact that they would do the countdown classics together as well kind of reinforced that. that and there was, at the end of this episode, actually, do you notice that Jane puts her head, um, her head on Tommy G's shoulder at one point? <laughs> Ah. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know. I mean, whether they'd planned that or not, it, it really made us all think that they might be a bit of a thing. But alas, not. Well, I hope that was the reason for that sketch. Because comedy wasn't. Not, not, not a fan, are you? <laughs> not of that sketch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a long history with the whole Rob and Jane thing. Because... I had like um, aunts and uncles and my parents tell me that Rob and Jane were an item in 1992, which is really interesting because you know how they are media shy and like the only thing you'll ever get about it is maybe Jane saying we just started dating around then. And yet I had all these sort of older people who were about their age going, yeah, yeah, they're an item. So (laughs) whether it was like, I, I still, and I was like, how, how, what do you mean? then I'd take this information to school and nobody believed me for three years at least until <laughs> so we were Spencer, like why did you dislike the sketch? Did anyone believe Too me? close to home. <laughs> I'm sorry, was there a joke yeah. in it? I mean, the, the funniest joke was the flower. Yeah. Well, the flower. Oh. Where, where, where Tommy gives Jane the flower and she says, oh, I've got some of those. Oh, Yes, I mind. have a daisy. 
Um, yeah, smashed on the floor. No, I really felt Jane's pain <laughs> through the whole episode, and I really don't think that I was meant to, but I did. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the low point of the episode. <laughs> I think the joke is that, you know... For the effort, I mean, sure, they got four minutes out of it, or thereabouts, I'm not... Was it? Yeah, five minutes out of it. Um, but think about this. this. They had to shoot at night time. Like, so the, the expense of the crew and working at nighttime, like, it did, it did not pay, it, it was not worth it. The joke is that it was a bad day. I think that's what it was. And, it, and yet, <laughs> he really sort of went for it. Like, you're going to love the greyhounds. And it's like, no, I don't want to go to the greyhounds. Somehow, I've, I've got the feeling, though, that they might not have gotten permission from, from the, the greyhound track that they went to like it, it did seem a bit covert it probably would have been just santa oh definitely like sitting in the back of the car with the handicap going down punt road i don't know I, I don't really have a problem with it i think it's fine i think it's funny maybe it's something like they always used to do on the radio a bit sort of taking the piss out of it's like a it's a classic mick malloy joke in a way even though he probably didn't write this bit but he's always sort of saying, come on, you'll love this. And it's like a shit night out for everyone involved except Mick. <laughs> Again, they're, they're returning to their dagginess as the thing. So, yeah, going to the dish liquors and, you know, Tom uh, getting a copy of the Australian Greyhound with Tony Lockett on the cover. Well, you know, this, this is, though, as we segue into the next bit, just another example of the just how much was in an hour of this program because what followed was champagne comedy i don't know whether you ring a bell when you actually <laughs> hit something that genuinely is but you know thank god it was saved by the next <laughs> bit. That's all I can say. oh yeah the barcelona newsreader games yes yes <laughs> the rating <laughs> on uh how to pronounce Bach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pronunciation now uh, spencer this would be your forte wouldn't it well i actually remember i mean this is obviously a, a hat tip to what sbs were doing at the time with mary costakidis and george tanikian as the main readers probably around that time or maybe they had been and I actually remember interviewing Mary Kostakidis probably within a year of this, probably even that, that year um, uh, for um, reading radio or for RPH as it was called at the time where I was working community radio. And I asked her, like, how, do you, how much effort goes into getting the pronunciations right of, uh, of these um, names? Because if you watched SBS then, George, I mean, George Danikian uh, especially were just the, the the guttural pronunciation was I don't don't know if it was accurate but it was to behold, and I remember her saying to me it's my job, and if you and basically she knew I was sort of wanting to get into the media at that time and I, she pretty much said to me if you if you want it to be your job you get the pronunciations right that was what that was her answer to that can we hear a, a rendition from you Spencer how you would do the intro no. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural appropriation in 2020, no. Now, ju just before we move on, um, I'm just going to, uh, just before we move on, I'm going to poke a bit of a hole in this sketch um, in that uh, the degeneration are good at comedy, but they're crap at maths. Because um, you, you might remember that uh, for each newsreader's pronunciation of Barcelona, uh, they put scores along the, uh, the bottom of the screen. Um, they actually get the totals wrong for two out of the three newsreaders. Probably do. Yeah, Daniel Day is going to notice this. I reckon that's intentional. I reckon that's in, like the thing, really. Yeah, they're always doing things like that. Like there's a sketch coming up later with 
Tony and his gran. And like the funniest part of that sketch is the credits that go really quickly up the screen. So I reckon that's intentional. <laughs> you reckon they didn't get those titles wrong just to piss off pedants like me or? <laughs> are you keeping a list of all these questions for when you get these guys on the podcast? I hope you are. <laughs> Question 47 in episode 14. Uh, yeah. Th- those, those, those trekkies will have nothing on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just 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 for, for completeness, uh, the the Channel Seven guy, um, uh, it should have been nineteen point five instead of nineteen. Uh, the Channel Nine guy was <laughs> correct, and um, uh, Jane doing the SBS um, newsreader um, should have been thirty eight point three instead of thirty seven point three. I'm glad the results this yeah, name that done. could have been quite a scandal. You know, oh, it that. would have driven all the Warnickies <laughs> out there really angry and writing into the Green yeah. Guide later on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Warnicky joke from episode two, so we're still continuing. Ross Warnicky was it? Ross Warnicky, yeah. So in '92, very quickly, I'll throw this in. I was at aforementioned reading radio, and I did a program called The Box, and I read from the Green Guide every week on for RPH, as it was in in Brisbane. So anything written in the Green Guide, that including that article, uh, Daniel, that you mentioned before, I probably read out. <laughs> on radio in 1992, even if I wasn't watching the show. Well, I really got you as a good guest, didn't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, ep- straight after the newsreader, uh, we have now Santo as Colin Slater and his Academy of Martial Arts. And <laughs> with, with Jane asking Santo the questions and uh, with the Martial Art Academy being located above his uh, panel beating shop. <laughs> yeah. And the Australian martial arts that are highlighted here are funny the gay bashing joke yeah. is another low in, in just in terms of the terminology we wouldn't no no yeah i feel i i feel i feel with the joke like, like that they're not trying to endorse it really. endorsing it. <laughs> it it's a reflection of a real phrase that people use at that time unfortunately it, yeah. it would be done differently like today it. that joke definitely um, I also think this might be the first reference to Jane, you mm. are a beautiful woman or Jane, you are a beautiful girl, because there's quite a lot of that in, in subsequent episodes. Yeah, yeah. there's that. <laughs> that's, right, yeah. that's a running gag, yeah, trying, to, trying to distract yeah. Jane. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got a feeling they, they, they do that sometimes just to, to try and throw her off. Her, yeah. her game, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the history, of course. She used to read the news and they would distract yeah. her from yeah. it. I'm very glad that she What are you staring at? What are you staring at? This is quite funny, this whole, you want to go? You want to go? Yeah, well, that <laughs> classic, yeah. Aus- what are you staring classic. at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was called chesting. Well, one of them was anyway. Yeah. yeah. Probably, probably better better thought of these days is uh, shirt fronting, uh, as a former PM uh, might have put it. <laughs> Have you noticed the funniest part of this bit is where, at the end of it, Jane starts no, laying into Santa mm. and fully dexing. That's well actually, he calls her a beautiful woman. Just, just yes, as the camera right. moves away. So, and now we have the next instalment of the olden days, episode three, Front Bottom's Iron Fist. Now, a lot of this was featured in the olden days movie. I guess I'll call it a movie or the special. But I noticed that there was one joke that was cut. Oh, which was the it? Actual, yeah. Uh, Can someone explain that no, no, Irish comic uh, joke to me? I don't get it. So every, everything, well, yeah, everything was fine. Like the bread roll, uh, wearing you know on, on the head joke, uh, you know, stupid hat day. That was all fine. It was right towards the very end. It was the last, I think it was twenty seconds oh. of it, where 
it was another yeah it was a throwback to you know play school mm. auditions and front bottom goes well he's about to audition for all of rivers run and he's a dead <laughs> suit is that a rights issue or no i've like, got no idea but there was a major mm. ribbing towards john waters mm. again yeah maybe there was some sensitivity Possibly. there mm. maybe they just we... didn't get the permission i don't know do you, did they need Not permission to say to... the name of another show Maybe, maybe they felt that it he, wouldn't have longevity if you're talking about a DVD release. Is that weird? That's what we're talking about, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so... Because it wasn't released on the VHS nor the DVD or the yeah. iTunes. Whereas the, the, most of the olden days is just brilliant yeah. and, and timeless, really. Yeah, because uh, from Bottoms talking to uh, Hatstrap and that's where he mentions about all the rivers run. So I just thought, oh, okay, this is a new bit. Well, old new bit. Overall, though, John Waters would have had to have given permission for the release of the DVD, uh, the video, wouldn't he, to be a part of it or not? Fair dealing. They're only using a very small amount of it. No, I mean, like, his whole image is obviously in, in the show in the olden days as part of Rush footage. So would have he had to have said that's okay? All the Rivers and Run all the was, in, was in 1983 is when it yeah, I, I remember it very, very slightly because, you know, I was in I was in year one in 1983, but I remember it being on. I remember watching it. So, you know, it's hardly a topical reference in 1992. But, but also, like, you know, the stars of Rush come on The Late Show, so they obviously weren't that bothered by it. But anyway, yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know why it was removed from the, the video and, and DVD release, but... Yeah, but to use the late show parlance, uh, we are flummoxed. <laughs> yeah. But can we just go back to this Irish convict joke? All right, so there's a Cobb & Co coach and he gets his lips burnt on the exhaust, exhaust pipe. pipe. What does that trying mean? To I don't blow, get it. Try, no, 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 trying to blow it up. Oh. By blowing into the exhaust oh, pipe. Oh, I'm so stupid. Yeah, it was during the, the IRA. Was uh, It was a joke that we said at school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this joke. It was when the IRA bombings was, was, were still happening. I remember this joke was being um, said at school. It was basically, instead of a stagecoach, it was a car. So, yeah, that, that old joke. You will sleep so much better tonight after all this language. <laughs> I was even allowed to stay up late to watch it. But it's a joke. It's a joke that doesn't work because it's being used on a stagecoach that doesn't have a tailpipe. So yes, obviously, a hundred years from now, they'll be pissing themselves. Basically, whenever there's an Irish joke in comedy, the punchline is the Irish person is stupid. That that's uh, the punchline. I uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't really work. To be fair, all the rivers run one and two are available on Crawford's DVDs website. So. Yeah, it was really popular program. I just have to say that yeah, Governor with the stupid hat. That is a very yeah, stupid I hat. I have to say the Governor Frontbottom looks like the Quality Street soldier, don't you think? In this, <laughs> in this get <laughs> Stupid and tall, just the way he likes them. So straight after olden days, we have Tony educating fans on how, or how to entertain people at home during the Olympics. So this is where the good old Lapland comes in. But before you get to that, oh, yeah, yeah. question 347 for when you get these guys on the podcast, why did it say muckraking on stage, forcing Tony to explain that this is not actually muckraking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. I just, I know, just in the spirit of dealing with absolutely everything in the episode. Oh, shoot, working dog an email. 
I think that was just a technical gap. Yeah, they played the wrong skill. Maybe Tony yeah. just never agreed with it being part of muckraking. So he thought, we're live on air, I'm going to say. This is not muckraking. And now. <laughs> See, I, th- I, think, I think this might have originally been sort of a muckraking sketch because it does feature Mick and Jason and uh, celebrity stooge Philip Brady. I mean, yeah, it is sort of weird that Tony is essentially hosting the segment. So, yeah, so you had uh, Mick... Darren, Jason, Philip Brady. It was hilarious, though, that he introduces it in his karate costume from the previous sketch and then goes, um, look out, you'll <laughs> see my devastating skills, so be on your, be on your guard. <laughs> yeah, who couldn't make the Who's filming? Darren? <laughs> who is Darren? Is Darren Bill Hannon or something? I think he was a comedian in Melbourne in the 90s. I think that was his name. I don't know. That's my guess. If anyone knows, let us know. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't work it out either. He, he doesn't seem to be to be credited uh, looking through the credits. So, yeah, they wore their hats uh, being US, Germany, Russia, and Mika's Lapland. Everyone hates Lapland. <laughs> they don't have a flag because they're not a real country. <laughs> Which is just the word Lapland. And to keep everyone refreshed, they had fridges full of beer, including the old... Uh, what Darwin Stubby. Yes, that's it. <laughs> the Darwin stubby, indeed. Can you still get the Darwin stubby? You can still get them. I don't know that you can get them outside Darwin, though, but you, they still have them. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know this was a thing until I, I had to look up NT Draft. But they, from a production point of view, I love the fact that they convinced the ABC to buy all of the beer that they needed to fill two fridges with beer. I'm, I am actually diverting that question and going to say, was any of it homebrew? <laughs> <laughs> Probably just like all that Fosters did actually on the ABC budget. Wonder who did actually drink that. (laughs) But this, um, my friend and I always used to laugh at this sketch because it had three fridges. We would just go three fridges. Who has three fridges? And like, (laughs) it's 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 kind of it's kind of obvious that the the one that they they get the the Darwin stubby out of uh, has come out of someone's shed. It's an old banger. Can I just say that I grew up in a house that had three fridges and two of them were entirely dedicated to alcohol. So, you know. Yeah, so they're like three garage fridges. fridges, aren't they? they no, they weren't. They, they were, one of them, one of them was in the kitchen. That was a sensible <laughs> fridge that had food. In it. <laughs> but they were in which the was kitchen, entirely I'm sure. my dad's beer. <laughs> and then there was another one under the carport, which had Now that we approach 50, Nikki, how many fridges so. do we have? Five? <laughs> And and there's a there's a, a great line in that section from from Mick. Sorry, I told you before. Philip Brady does not drink light beer. <laughs> I love Philip Brady. Unlike how I didn't like Jimmy Hannon, <laughs> I've got total opposite with Philip Brady. I think he's brings yeah. so much to it. He's quite funny. Yeah, uh, we have our old mate Bruce McAvaney back introducing the musical pistake or pistake. Uh, which is Amigos para siempre with uh, Jane as Sarah Brightman and Santo as Jose Carreras. And uh, I can't even do my Spanish properly. Jane's brilliant. <laughs> Jane's brilliant as Sarah Brightman because what I remember about Sarah Brightman was her extraordinarily sort of popping out eyes. And Jane really gets the Sarah Brightman look and, and the way that she moved in that really weird sort of mysterious eye poppy way. So she she's really good in this. Yeah, yeah definitely. You can hear her singing. But yeah. I don't think I fully yeah. appreciated the, this joke until like this year when they released all that um, theatre on YouTube and stuff to get engaged with it again. And they had um, the Phantom of the Opera, the one at the Royal Albert Hall, like 
I can't remember what it was, but it was awkward at the end when Sarah Brightman comes mm. on and Andrew Lloyd Webber comes over and gives her this big hug and you're going, what is the story here? Like, so now... Olympic. Ex, ex-wife, ex-husband and wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I fully appreciate yeah. this song a bit more now. It, 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 it also helps uh, having that uh, introduction by um, uh, Rob as uh, Bruce McIverney there. I, I feel like it's doing a bit of the heavy lifting because, yeah, Rob does have to say, yeah, uh, Sarah and uh, and Andrew were well are um, are, are an item. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like you, you, you wouldn't have gotten the Joker um, uh, without that intro there. I think. Although there's something about Amigos line was always funny. And 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 <laughs> Besser Men Mucho means pretty much the same. Did anyone notice in this sketch that they're singing and and sort of in the background there are various lit up buildings and I think one of them's Flinders Street Station. Oh, probably. Or oh, Parliament. They always go to those classic daggy buildings. <laughs> I thought I might just bring in a bit of um, memorabilia. I've got the song that, uh, that Something About Amigos was parodying on Compact yeah. Disc Maxi so Single. Wow. Wow. They're paying and us it's to not sing on this yeah. together. Yeah, we've got that too. In the we've cardboard cover. Now, I must admit, this, this was an op shop find. But, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't pass it up, um, especially with um, on, on the, the cover, because for some reason they've got photos of Jose Carreras and Sarah Brightman, but they're, they're in separate boxes. You would think for something that's called Friends for Life, they might find a photo of both of them They're being in the, the same room. Uh, photo shoot say Olympics. And <laughs> there's a music video. CD single. Yeah, there's a music video. And 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 the the, the, the other thing is that it, it's it's titled Andrew Lloyd Webber's Amigos para siempre. So, and Andrew is being a bit egotistical there. <laughs> so next bit is. Countdown Classics with Tom and Jane, and the focus is on the audience, such as uh, dancing to Rod Stewart wearing a footy jersey and holding tinsel. So that is a definite dance for uh, dance appearance. Um, and this one, which I absolutely love. I wonder if this guy's still around, but the audience member just chiming in, uh, Michael Merrislade from, from Mooney Ponds. Ponds. <laughs> he wants more Kiss music. He should have his own T-shirt. And, and- and he's a, yes. he's a Kiss fan as He well. was dealt with quite well. You, you, really, Molly dealt with him really well. Michael Merrislade, feel free to reach out. If you're still in Mooney Ponds, even better. Now, bunch and there's a bunch of girls that are invited to sit on lounge with Molly, which ended up being a little bit awkward, but that was like a clip from the Countdown episode 100, uh, which they highlighted last week. Uh, and then there was also Jane's tip on how to get your hands on TV, which was to stand a certain distance away from the camera and just put your hands up really high and, yeah, you've got it. The Linda George audience looked thrilled. <laughs> and, oh, and the Max Merritt audience looked thrilled too. Uh, and Daryl Braithwaite gets pulled down by the audience member. Never shake hands. I, I just want to add that I, I would never want to sit next to Tom Gleisner on public transport because I wouldn't invade <laughs> my seat. Yeah, I was going to say, if the material was put together well, his legs weren't. I thought this um, segment of Countdown Classics was really the material that Jane and um, Tom had was really good. It was yeah, sort of players blame the flares. Uh, it was a bit better than the other two episodes. Yeah. It was just really kind of um, put put together quite well. Even though we did have Tom's epic man spread on the beanbag. 
I want to go for the comic effect because otherwise, yeah, that's pretty intense. But as we're saying before, maybe it was another one of those things. So Jane and Tommy's knees were rubbing, you know, we were, maybe it was another sign in the deception. (laughs) (laughs) So we've developed, we're developing a late show conspiracy theory here about Jane and Tom that it was, that they were totally planned. (laughs) We've been in lockdown too long, I think. I think we need to know if it was intentional. Like, is he... Was he sitting down going, I'm just going to spread a little bit more just for the comic effect? Or was that just the way he would sit on a beanbag? Because it's all sorts of wrong. All right. So uh, next is uh, Shit Scared with Rob trying to jump a ramp on his stunt cycle while blindfolded. Now, this is the fantastic one because this has got the famous Hulk Hogan reference as well as uh, I'd say that the stunt headquarters, the office being the ABC offices because of the Das Kapital poster in the background. And there's a picture of Max Gillies as well, I think. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit hard to see, but I'm pretty sure it's Max Gillies anyway. So, yeah, and that, that, that this uh, shit gets featured on the DVD release. Um, and also, not to forget, there's another word that he wasn't sure how to spell, which was dangerous. It might have had a silent J in it. Yeah, for, for some reason, he can't hear, see, or spell the word yeah. dangerous, but he can say. It's a weird disability, isn't it? That's the classic quote that we all said. I don't, don't have, have the, the brown underpants, underpants on, on for, nothing. for nothing. Yeah, and, and uh, it's got the yeah. Mr. Squiggle thing, which is so clever. It um, unfortunately has a word in it that, you know, you just would not put in a sketch yes. these days. Yes, Mick has been yeah. medically diagnosed as a, an insert yeah. there. Yeah. Right, you, but, you do that joke differently these days with a different word. But notwithstanding that, I wrote down that this was again. I, I made three in my notes. There were three moments of true champagne comedy, <laughs> and this shit scared was one of them. Yeah, it was really, really good. I love this uh, shit scared because it's got the first time I ever heard the joke about the brown underpants. There's, there's also a, a little thing I like, which is Rob explaining what a stunt cycle is, a motorcycle for stuntmen. And I love the line about how he can, I can put motorbikes, you know, I can pull them apart and put them together again in my sleep. Here's what I've done. It just won first prize in a sculpture competition. Because <laughs> it did not look like but a the motorbike end result at the end. was Rob driving through <laughs> the ramp facing the opposite way while blindfolded. And then and then it's, it's also capped off very well by the, the little text... Uh, coda on it saying that um yeah he's he spent what was it two weeks uh, at the st vincent's home for the daredevil <laughs> ward of st vincent that's right that's right and then an, an additional two weeks after being visited by me now we have a news update with another bow and arrow barcelona joke again <laughs> so uh, you know a misfire and blowing up something else oh no no sorry he got his shoots are a popcorn salesman in the back. I think it was intended to go over the cauldron and then hit something that, and it actually was the, the motion of it going across and the gas was being lit as it was flying over or something. I, everyone thought he missed. <laughs> yeah, that's about the third time they've done a piss take of that arrow, isn't it, in, in this episode? It was it, it, it was the, the big thing out of that cer- ceremony, though. Just, um, yeah. It was a, a, a big moment, yeah. Yeah, because it was one where um, people were unsure where the conspiracy of if the arrow went over the cauldron instead. The conspiracy was to fire inside the cauldron, but it, it appeared that he, the arrow missed it and went completely over it because you see a bit of light, the flame go past it um, as it lights up from the, behind it. So it's on YouTube. Just watch the entire ceremony again. Make your own judgment. Wow, why is this not a big conspiracy theory in 2020? 
because we did it in 92. Well, Philip Brady actually had good aim. <laughs> Maybe we can distract some flat earthers with this and get them thinking about something that really, you know, is not that important. And oh, no, it was mm, spoken mm. about in school all the it, time and I'm going, oh, who cares? It got lit. Doesn't that's matter. right. Don't, don't ask us for the evidence. Do your own research. That's uh, right. yeah. <laughs> Forget that QAnon stuff, you know, Bill Gates and 5G. This is what you need to focus on. There we on. go. On on Twitter, hashtag the arrow missed. Uh, yeah, so we've got the, other than the Barcelona joke, um, and there was something about Stan Grant and Aboriginal artwork, which that went directly over my head. Yeah. 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 So uh, Iraq's swimming team, uh, is the coach is now Saddam, and which they cut to Saddam and his mates are swimming in water, in a river it looks like. So it was more of a visual <laughs> gag, which didn't really... <laughs> uh, but again, oh, this one I found fantastic because I didn't realise this until I watched the documentary on the ABC earlier in the year, and that was about the family, the sect, the sixty-five children being rescued. Yeah, although he was wobbly. Did you see that? He was really sort of scared when he was that shit. Yeah, here we go. Go on, Nikki. <laughs> you had a problem with this. This is where I wrote bit off. <laughs> The incest, but you know, serious issue at the time, and as we've been saying, like good that they didn't um, steer away from these issues, and that they were bringing them to potentially a new audience and letting it be discussed. So yeah, and that's what these guys have done so well for so many years across so many TV shows. The panel, what they're doing now with Have You Been Paying Attention, it's taking news to an audience that wouldn't watch the news. (laughs) That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought this was another good one where it was. you know, they were sort of dealing with it. I thought it was all right, actually. Because the family really wasn't talked about at all very well, you know, like even Julian Assange was in the family or some some weird connection there. Like we weren't in the 90s, we just weren't talking about it. And this, it was all sort of happening then. They were starting to raid the, you know, the, the property up in the Lake Eildon sort of area. So it was... I thought it was bringing it to light, which was good. The funny thing was that they gave the character that Jane played the last name Fidgen, which is the guy who... Yeah, Robert Fidgen from The Age. Herald's son, I should say. Robert Robert Fidgen was the Herald's son, wasn't he? Yeah, and Ross Warner from The Age. Sorry about that. Yeah, That's just a pure coincidence. And now we have Jason Stevens as Kieran Perkins, uh, you know, winning gold, but that's after the amount of pressure that the media was giving him for not succeeding or not doing well enough. And then Tommy just going into a natural rant about, oh, you're too, you think you're too good, you've got to do better, blah, blah, blah. I will, I, I will come across as the, 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 the lefty um, ABC guy here, but again, um, and I will say the words this time, but Nancy boy is just not something that we would say these days. I, I, so I'm very, I just realised watching this episode just how, I guess, woke I am to this stuff now, which I'm happy about. I'm happy that I watch this and that I cringe when I see that sort of stuff. No, but it it shows how much we've progressed in 30 years that we just do not accept homophobia these days. And yet there was still an awful lot of soft homophobia around at that time and it was acceptable. So so it's good that we're spotting and are annoyed. And the yeah. sketch the sketch was not particularly successful, but Bruce McAvaney popping his head in at the end no. saved it. No. Except for Bruce, <laughs> yeah. yes. Now, to wrap the next part up was uh, a quick little sketch featuring uh, everyone's favourite <laughs> uh, author. Yes, Jessica Fletcher. Fletcher. Yeah. yeah. 
Murder She Wrote. Yeah, Murder She Wrote meets The Killing Fields. <laughs> and and that, that, that very uh, weird line, an entertaining hour of intrigue and genocide. <laughs> I think the only thing good about that was that they used the footage of Jane dressed as um, Jessica Fletcher crossing those killing fields quite a lot in the little stills that they would put oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the next part is Commercial Crime Stoppers with Mick and Santo. And we have Kent Bruce in the audience after him being featured in the previous week's episode. I can appreciate Kent Bruce as well. So, um, and they talk about uh, in this segment uh, the Demtil pet trainer. Yeah, it reminded me quite a lot of the device that Marlon Brando has in the Island of Doctor Moreau. If anyone's had the misfortune <laughs> to sit through that film, no, not all of it. <laughs> but they had the endorsement of the man in the white coat, Doctor Spencer Silvers. So he's an American vet, and I looked him up, and he's still trading. He's based in Bridgewater in New Jersey. <laughs> Hilarious. Mm, what does he promote these days? <laughs> Is he actually still promoting some sort of dodgy product? Is he still working at the Institute of Piss Week Endorsements? <laughs> <laughs> I like the visual gag with this, with uh, Santo trying to open, get the dog trained and the garage open. Yes, and I also love that yes. um, Jane's dog, Jesse, features so heavily in this bit. And I think Jesse, the dog, is the funniest part of yeah. it. Like, there's this bit where he just, <laughs> she runs away from Mick when he, Mick pulls the gun on Jesse and she's like, ah! <laughs> Very good. Oh, uh, according to the credits, Madonna is dressed by Michael Hirsch. <laughs> so, 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 so there's, there's, your, there's your, it seems every week Michael, Michael Hirsch gets a joke credit and uh, that's this week's one. Oh, he was probably the bum in the photocopy. <laughs> There's question number 350 for them. Who is the bum? <laughs> All right, so next part is Tony reads out the telex and uh, there's a Gareth Evans family court joke again. Hilarious that he receives a telex, like flashback. Yeah. Uh, Tony's grandmother's Barcelona. This is back to the, uh, throws back to the nationalism at the start of the episode. So this was his grandmother's nationalism. So it's pretty much all, I guess, the businesses at the time were saying, hey, we're hunky-dory, you know, we're passionate about the Olympics, you know, trying to cash in on that spirit at least when, you know, they could be selling vacuum cleaners. Hey, the Olympics won't suck, but we will. Yeah, I think he was, he was talking about all the Barcelona shows, Steve yes. Izard, Clive James, they all had their own little takes on Barcelona. And this was his grandmother's one. And obviously she didn't think much of it. And the rolling credits were pretty much just as long as the interview. And it was that type of thing that you could just, you know, if you freeze frame it, you'd see all these in-jokes. And they always had these little subliminal messages that were really cool if you just froze your VHS and actually saw all these little little messages pop up. So as Prue was saying, the, the credits are quite amusing. And, and, and Myrtle Woods is, is great just sort of being deadpan and just sort of no. going, no, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing I want to, want to talk about Barcelona. I don't like this, I don't like that. <laughs> Oh, but I did like <laughs> So what else is she known for? Because she gets quite a prominent credit at the end. She plays a lot of uh, Tony's grandmother in the show. Is she? Okay, all right. Yeah. Because I figured it wasn't really Tony's grandma because she'd be in New Zealand yeah. if she was still alive. So. No, not real. Not Michael a real grandma. Woods was, no. was no. on Australian television back in the 60s. I think she worked with Graham Kennedy or at Channel 9 in, you know, in, in the 60s and beyond. So she was quite well known. I think in the Melbourne television scene anyway. I wonder if she was in a country practice and therefore if she'll be discussed in the uh, country pra- country podcast or whatever that's called. <laughs> it's just started. Uh, Hello to Melanie Tate, the host of that show. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Give us a plug as well. There we go. 
I must say the the set is beautiful behind Tony and and Grandma with the um, the smoked glass bricks that were very in of the time, very um, midday show style. <laughs> I saw nice a tw- uh, thread on Twitter recently about how you apparently you knew someone was posh if they had glass bricks in their house. <laughs> It's like we can't argue with that. Actually, yes. <laughs> well, Nikki, when when you worked at Channel Nine, you had a wall of those bricks, didn't you? Because there occasionally there'd be interview guests on the news who had had been invited up to Channel Nine to be. This is my recollection, anyway, to be interviewed for the news. And if they didn't want it to look like they were being interviewed at Channel Nine, they'd always have the glass bricks behind them. Um, when in yeah. Rockhampton actually had the best set of glass bricks. They right. actually had two walls <laughs> that you could choose which angle you wanted. It yes. was coming on midday show with Ray Martin, wasn't it? The day call. Yes, it was. I remember the glass bricks on on that. Yeah, but you know, if you've got a favourite set of glass bricks, do send us an email and tell. <laughs> send us a screenshot and we'll go from there. We'll discuss that next week. Yeah, more. We can use it as a yeah, Zoom background. Next week, everyone has to have glass bricks in the background on their Zoom. I don't have glass bricks, but I do have part of the Channel Nine news set uh, from Brisbane Channel Nine in the 1990s, which I have also in our bedroom. Oh, that's fantastic! Wow, <laughs> wow. not real, not real knobs on um, that television. Which actually was <laughs> because they had lights behind them, so the lights would shine through and it would glow blue. Nice. See, beautiful. God, is your place like a museum? <laughs> yeah. You got so much. Oh, that's oh, pretty cool. There you go. <laughs> So real visual gags, or not even a gag, it's just a visual, but I'm holding my phone light behind this Perspex with nine news on it. No, 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 national nine news. I was national nine news. Does all this get cut out? Uh, I I love how we're aiming for a one-hour podcast, but we've been going for two hours and we're only 45 minutes into the late show. I know, right? You'll never have us back again. In, in that case, I, w- I won't read out all of the, the credits from Tony's uh, grandmother's Barcelona, except for the one that I like, which is transport this made of Tony's <laughs> yeah. with an Atara. Uh, yes. All right, so we'll go to the next part, which is the slideshow of fake ads. And uh, this is where it's the Gillespie children joke. Flea to Malaysia uh, month. highlight of it being, you know, flee to Malaysia yeah. month. Yeah. And, and Tony Martin gets to, to do his best commercial radio Thinking about carpet, there's never been a better time. Uh, there's never been a better yeah. time to dot dot yeah. dot kind of voice. Have you have have you have you ever had to do that sort of thing, Spencer? Like I I, I don't know you uh, being from from many commercial enterprises. It's been mostly ABC and reading yes, radio. Yeah, no, I don't know that I've ever read an ad, but I if I ever get to, I would hope that it starts with <laughs> "There's never been a better time to." <laughs> If I come across one, I'll send yeah. you one, Spencer. This, okay. This sequence of ads right. reminded me a lot of those slides you used to get in cinemas at the time, you know, before before they'd show the proper ads, you know. Mm. Other than the flee to Malaysia, desperate to lose weight and you marry the Prince of Wales, which, yeah, that's a bit of Yeah, a, that one was uh, a bit low. Horribly off now. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And Baghdad self-storage. Yeah. I liked that one. Yeah. I don't know why, <laughs> you know, we deny all knowledge. I mean, <laughs> yes. I think one once you've got comfortable with the, the fact that there are jokes about the Iraq war, then you, yeah, you can see the humour in that. And I, I did write that down as, yeah, that's a good game. You might also notice that there's a tattoo on the uh, arm of the um, large woman in the middle um, slide that says, I heart Steve Saddle. That's a little in-joke that's been put in there by Steve, who's a, a graphic designer, according to the credits. That reminds me of the... Uh... 
the Kim rules on the photo of Santo and, and Rob that was in TV Week, which I scanned and put on my website. And subsequently, quite a few people have copied <laughs> that image and saved it and used it as avatars. But I can tell it's the copy that I saved <laughs> because it still says Kim rules on Santo's hand. <laughs> I had a bit of a crush on Santo, so obviously I, That's that was great. Just me being 15 years old. But if you ever it's see yours. that photo and you see Kim rules on his hand, then <laughs> yeah. feet. So, yeah, <laughs> simply Google it and you'll find it. Uh, now we have, speaking of which, Graham and the Colonel. Yeah, and there was no applause, which was uh, yeah. they obviously forgot to flash the Even applause Even when they line. gave about seven hints to give them applause, there was none. But still a 10 out of 10 audience. And it, and it killed, like, they even said that they that they needed the applause to start the the segment because they go, hey, we, you know, the applause that equals the opening ceremony of the Olympics. <laughs> Maybe that's why they had to introduce the uh, the, the song yeah. eventually, the the opening but it seems like that Rob that was segment. losing it. Sorry, not Rob, Graham was yeah. losing it all the way really, through. Really, yeah. really loose performance from Rob <laughs> in this one. About the very start. <laughs> I mean, I, I do, I do love it when they when they linger at the same time, <laughs> yeah. as it were, with with that with that sort of. I, you know, I like think we Graham and the Colonel is better when they go off whatever script they've written and they just go freeform because that's that's when either fails spectacularly yeah. and that's often quite funny or or they do something really brilliant and so yeah again i don't i wouldn't want to be whoever was running the auto cue oh i was just gonna say that graham and the colonel is one of those things that's sort of hard to talk about because the jokes are either a little bit lame or whatever but it was a wild segment of the show it really was like wow this is like flying by the seat of your pants and I think it was a really exciting, like, okay, Graham and the Colonel's coming up. What's going to happen now? No one knows, not even the cast, not even Santo. Sometimes you can see this look of terror on Santo's face. <laughs> there were some silly gags that that actually made me chuckle just about the, the boats for two people and they made the reference to a paddle boat and how they went really fast. <laughs> they had to return it within the hour and that's why they won the gold. It's just silly things like that that are actually quite funny. And then the and the diving. They never once saw a creepy crawly or a man with a yeah. And then Santo says, "Who put the uh, or the person putting the chlorine in?" And that's when Rob says, "We you should have stopped that gag at the pole." (laughs) (laughs) They were flummoxed. They were definitely flummoxed throughout this one. It's so loose, isn't it? It really could only have worked at the end of the show for them to be in relaxed enough, and for the audience, like it's just the perfect almost. The almost end to the show, what how they deliver it. Yeah, and uh, Graham, oh, sorry, the Colonel was disappointed that there was only gold, silver, and bronze, but there was no encouragement award, <laughs> <laughs> which is now so prevalent in all school sports. I'm just going to say that there's so many bloody fourth place ribbons. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a few references uh, to red faces in this episode, wasn't mm. there? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. To get them off, to actually, <laughs> and. Uh, it was around the time that they showed. Oh, it was Jason who was on it. Yeah, faces, was it Matt? You're the expert yeah. on hey hey. Yeah, the penguins. Yeah. When he was the penguin, so, and they spoke about the Olympic yeah. uh, theme song, Amigos Para Siempre, uh, and the Colonel was saying that it was stolen from Renee and <laughs> Renato. <laughs> and uh, was it Renee who was wearing the quality velour? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was pretty yeah. special. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still flummoxed how that song became a hit 
So it's terrible. That, I mean, that era of music, though, the, the charts had a, an awful lot of variety of songs for, for all sorts of different ages and tastes. And these days, the, what's in the charts is such a narrow sort of music. But back then, you know, you had novelty songs, you had easy listening, you had country music occasionally, as well as the full range of popular styles. Yeah. And it was just a different time. Now, we have the closing credits, which, and this is your forte, Daniel. The bad reviews. Um, well, actually, we've 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 skipped a little bit ahead because we've we've got the the closing the segment um, where Tony uh, mentions a bad review from Robert Fincher yep. in the Herald Sun. Um, I haven't been able to find the full review, but it is featured in the um, Stills Gallery on the uh, Champagne Edition DVD. Um, so yeah, the headline is "Laughs Are Not on the DGEM," and uh, the ex- the excerpt goes. The writing is simply not good enough for a 22-week show. Truth is, we're only up to week two, and already there's buckets of the cheap, easy, pooper scooper, horse-dropping, steaming piles of number two's rubbish that went out with the vaudeville. If the DJ are not up to providing the material, then for heaven's sake, dig deeper into the money bag and get some more writers. I'll stick with it, but more out of duty than desire. In the meantime... Kits and Fahey on Mondays is so far in that front of the DJ and Saturday show, Kits it's and funny. And I don't, no um, disrespect to Jean Kits and Marianne Fahey because they're both amazing, but Kits and Fahey was, was a stinker. Stinker. It was a massive Dreadful program. And, and it, it, it only, I think they did their six episodes and they never came back. You know, it was a yeah. stinker. Yeah. And also, what a shocking crit- criticism. Like, get some more writers. Like, Oh, righto. Like, Monty Python didn't need any more writers. Insane. Like, they were not... Like, there's there's (laughs) seven of them already, you would think. It was not a writer's room program. Insane. I'm I'm just amazed at at how many synonyms Robert Fidgen... Had for shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you for finishing my, my brain fade there. It's getting late, that's for sure. <laughs> We've been doing this for two hours. So, yeah, all right. And, well, the point that they, uh, you know, to try and get revenge on uh, Mr. Fidgen was that pointing out that he also drew cartoons for the paper. For TV and, uh, and they showed one of Stan yeah. Grant. Well, for, yeah, for, for TV, uh, TV Week. Week, yeah. And they showed where Stan Grant at the time, he was doing uh, the current affairs show on 7 Real Life. And the quote, she went that away. Being Yana went. Very good. Yeah. And that's when Tony got fired up. Like he was so being angry. angry. Quite rightly given. <laughs> he, he, he called, he, he called yeah. it a condescending old fart and probably has to slag Totally deserved. Can't get much worse yeah. than that. That's when they said, oh, send us in the worst Robert Fisher cartoon. <laughs> I love the way he's pointing out that they are all sort of yeah. non distinct images like who is this a caricature of no one knows stan grant looks like daryl summers and yeah (laughs) i can't see it on here but i I have a tv week that has a robert pigeon cartoon but it's uh it's it's basically to illustrate a a columnist's um view so it's something about vote one of the free tv speech it's not it's it's not funny if you don't actually read the whole thing you have no idea what it's. they were on the money then they were on the money by saying that he's not funny uh, well, there's, uh, a, there's uh, a, a, yeah, another funny. one which is, is two indistinct people talking to each other. One says, what would you call a murder journalist? And the other one answers just a <laughs> homicide. 
now. I mean, you know, that that was a, you know, like people sort of famously hate lawyers and real estate agents and journalists. I mean, that that's basically the joke, but except it's not funny, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At all. 28 yeah, years later, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I don't know what the punchline to that is. That <laughs> <laughs> Irish are stupid. Lol. <laughs> but they also had the worst, worst album covers, uh, and I've got the list here of what they showed. The Hawking Brothers, mm. Max Miller, the Cheeky Chappie, and one which I'm a sucker for, Indecent mm. Obsession. <laughs> I had that album. I won it on a radio competition. Wow. The cheeky chappy. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, indecent obsession could have linked in with that very easily. Yes. And again, indecent obsession are available on Spotify, but not the spoken, not the album spoken words, which is the one that's highlighted there. Again, like, does anybody know what the actual story is about the album cover? Is that an actual thing? Oh, that it's a really horrible photo. <laughs> that's right. Like, <laughs> that was the style at the time, wasn't it? No, what, what what's was it wasn't wasn't it that it had to be recalled or the album mm. cover had to be changed? Or something? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Am I, I dreaming this? And the tweet about oh, is this another that, conspiracy theory? Oh, hold on. There's two. There's two albums. Oh no, sure. no, here we go. There's one that's an Australian one, and then there's an international cover, which is them standing there, black and white or silhouette type mm. thing. Oh my god, yeah. it's with the Beatles all over again. <laughs> Oh well, it's it's uh, Molly Meldrum was in charge of them. Are they are they um without well, shoes on the cover, which would mean they're all dead now? Yeah, dead. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, spoken words. They yeah, the Australian cover they had them standing in the beach. You can't uh, see their feet. And the international cover is they look like a really cheesy boy band in the international cover. Like kind of they look semi serious. I know too much. They, about they were a very boy band, so you got that right. It's 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 really weird that spoken words isn't available digitally because there were a couple of big hits on it. Yeah, say goodbye. Yeah, that's my favorite. I'm they sure. didn't laugh. <clears throat> and and and, and, and yes. tell me something. Yeah, because I, yeah, because they have Indio on Spotify. Again, third time I'm saying too much. Uh, and the other one oh, this, is uh, David. The whole, oh, sorry. No, no, go no, on, no, 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 please, Spencer, please go. No, no, the whole um, record cover thing nearly didn't happen. Like, so Jane actually had to, to remind Tony to do that. Yeah. Otherwise it looked like he was going to wrap it up. Because he was so fired up, he could have kept talking. Yeah, he was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they had to push him along. And, uh, yeah, David Graves, something old, something new. Anyway, that doesn't mean too much now. Uh, so, and, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then it was... The closing credits, and straight yep. afterwards, at the end of it, they had Ken Bruce plugging the audience tickets, but not in Brisbane. Mm. Oh, yes, or Adelaide, yeah, or Sydney. Added I've bonus. never seen that before. Ah, we never did, and until hashtag Brisbane life. <laughs> we get to we got to go and see Ugly Dave Gray hosting blankety blanks at uh, not blankety blanks, play your cards right at, at Channel Seven in Brisbane, but we couldn't go to the late show. And I did see Ugly Dave Gray hosting. Play a card drive at Channel Seven in Brisbane, and that's going to be the subject of my new podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty it. much it. So, um, yeah, if it, if you've got anything else to add, uh, speak up now. Forever hold your peace. An hour and a half ago, I ordered pizza, and I keep getting notifications saying, "Phone the restaurant to find out what the delay is." It's like, don't you know I'm on a podcast? <laughs> that's all I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I can finally phone the restaurant. There you go, Nikki. You can get your pizza now. So sorry for the whole. Thank hold you, up. everyone. This has been fun. <laughs> now, Spencer and Nikki, do you have anything to plug that you're doing right now? I'll hand over my plugging time to Nikki. What is giveit.org.au, <laughs> Nikki? Well, um, I'll take the work plug. Thank you, Kat. Um, if you have anything in your house that you don't need anymore, great quality that you would love to pass on to somebody in need in your community, someone you haven't met before, but someone you know that will use that mobile phone that's sitting in your drawer because you've upgraded in your new plan. Um, someone you know who's got a pram sitting under the stairs who doesn't need it anymore. Someone who's moved from a single bed into, the, you know, the teenager's grown up, they're now in the queen bed. Um, there will be somebody near you that you can make a difference in the world by donating it. So jump online, giveit.org.au, G-I-V-I-T.org.au. Um, you can have a look at the stories requested around the country of items that are needed right now. And yeah, it feels great to give. So um, here's your chance. Can I, can I donate a Perspex uh, <laughs> Channel 9 News television no, from the fine. 90s? You're not no, giving okay. that away. Only, only if somebody wants <laughs> That's it. That's true. You accept worn-out VHS tapes of the late show. <laughs> if anybody has a player to play the one anymore, that might be more the trick. Nice. And you're a nationwide uh, charity organisation, correct? Across Australia, yes. So anywhere you are in Australia... And you might connect with a request that's actually in Darwin or Alice Springs or Broome. So wherever you are, jump on, have a look. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, Nikki and Spencer. And also thank you very much, Daniel, Prue, Alison and Kim. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much episode three of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So and please, yeah, subscribe. Uh, shoot us an email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com or Twitter, TLS Champagne, or even visit the website champagnecomedy.com. And, yeah, give us a shout-out or, you know, let us know what you think if we do waffle on for too long or we don't tell enough stories. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. See you next episode. Cheers, everyone. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.